Hi, I'm Jeff Lee, the host of the Building Forward podcast. I'll be speaking with the building industry's most thoughtful leaders on the technologies and business models transforming productivity in the built environment. In other words, data, analysis, and big ideas with a hard hat to help your construction business evolve and thrive. Thanks for stopping by. Let us know what you think and what keeps you up at night. The Building Forward podcast is produced in partnership with Jeldwin Windows and Doors. Visit Jeldwin's professional portal at professionals.jeldwin.com for assistance with your 2019 projects. You'll find product comparison tools, how-to videos, and case studies, plus information on Jeldwin's extensive selection of windows, patio doors, and tree and interior doors. That's professionals.jeldwin.com. In this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Clark Ivory, CEO at Ivory Homes. Clark and I caught up while at the Housing Leadership Summit. We talked about how Ivory Homes has used the power of advocacy to create awareness and creative solutions for the challenge of developing affordable single-family housing. Here's our conversation. Clark Ivory, thanks so much for joining us. Happy to be here, Jeff. Could you start off by introducing yourself and your role at Ivory Homes? Okay, I'm Clark Ivory. I'm uh, the CEO at Ivory Homes. It's a family business. We've been sort of the leader in our market for 31 years. Our goal is to be there for 50. And uh, I'll be in my early 70s, but we're striving for it. Being number one isn't just about building the most houses, it's about really contributing to our community, making a difference in housing in every way, whether it's affordability, quality, energy efficiency, sustainability, whatever we can do to sort of enhance housing and the value of it to our community is what we're about. We have a huge number of repeat buyers, we have lots of partners that have been loyal to us now for two or three decades. Every year we meet with them and we share our plan for the new year. It's not just our own employees and team, but it's our entire workforce of trade partners, professional associates, suppliers. We all come together and we sort of lay out what we're gonna do in the next year and we share with them what our concerns are, what our challenges are, and what we think we can do to improve. And then they help us, they, they do great things for us. and so. We have quite a network, quite a team, quite a group that just makes it happen. And I think we're pretty lucky to be in this business. I wanted to ask you what sets Ivory Homes apart. And it sounds like a lot of the description you just gave me is that. Is it, is it kind of the, those people and those relationships that set you apart? Or do you have something that you kind of consider your, your mission that, that makes you unique? I don't think you can point to one thing, but the culture is very strong. And what is it that makes up a culture? It's many important things. My father laid out key principles that we try to adhere to. We put people first. We're very involved in our community and the planet. We understand the importance of managing our debt. We know that at the end of the day, if we don't do a good job with that, that uh, we put everyone at risk. So we're very careful. We've always said ever since we survived tough times in the 80s, early 90s, my dad and I made a commitment. We'd drive the business to a one-to-one debt-to-equity ratio and then never leave it. So we've really been careful to not be over-leveraged. That allows us to battle through any downturn, and that's great for the team. That's great for us, and we've got a great team. You've been a notable advocate for affordable housing. Can you tell me a little bit about the Ivory Prize and why you see affordability in general as such a significant issue? You know, you always try to look down the road a little ways or try to look around the corner and say, what's the next big thing? In 2006, it became really clear to us that 
around the corner was a huge problem due to the number of speculative home purchases that had been made and the amount of inventory that was out there not lived in. And we rang the bell in a big way. We went to our newspapers, we went to our local economists, we tried to get every builder developer in our state to moderate. We started paying off our debt. We warned our subcontractors and suppliers to do the same. We told them it was all coming. And we were in a great spot. Um, by 09, we were only operating on our own cash. And then we were ready for you know, what was a very difficult time period and to take advantage of what was a very you know, opportunistic time period to buy new land, to get into new positions. As I surveyed everything a couple of years ago, I'd gone on a three-year sabbatical. I, I did a, a three-year mission for my church in Romania. After returning in the summer of 17, I was really looking at the signs and wondering what you know, was next. And what I saw was that during a 10-year period in Utah, the previous 10 years, we had not built nearly enough homes for the number of households that had been created. This created sort of a housing gap. And the housing gap meant that we had 50,000 more household formations than we had units built. And I said, this is the next big thing. It's just, in fact, the opposite of the problem we saw in 06, where we had an oversupply, we had an undersupply. It was really challenging because you'd say to yourself, well, why doesn't the market just correct on its own? Why doesn't it just happen? Well, the reason is, is that there's so many factors working against builders being able to hit a certain price point. And if we build homes in higher price points, we don't really satisfy the need. The market demand for those homes is being fulfilled. What's not being fulfilled is the demand for homes priced at a much more moderate level and apartments, truthfully, in our market. And so there's so many things that you have to do to bring that about. And we said to ourselves, we got to do everything possible to try to correct this imbalance. And one of the very first things we did was go to the University of Utah. My daughter worked at Sorensen Impact, and I, I said to these guys, we need to create something with the university that will help us look at this issue. The business community rallied together, and they got a study done on this very issue. What will rapidly rising prices do to housing affordability in Utah, and what can we do about it? And that helped us understand the lay of the land. The next thing we did is we said, let's put together an advisory group that's going to help us with this. We got Carol Galante from Turner Institute, Chris Herbert from Harvard Joint Centers, Larry Goodman from the Urban Institute, Kent Colton, the previous director of the National Home Builders. We brought these folks together along with Natalie Gochner, who runs the Gardner Institute in Utah, and we said, we need you to help us figure this out. We want to bring in ideas from all across the country. We formed this ivory prize idea which was an effort to say, bring us your innovations and we'll reward you. We had 29 states that ended up with applicants or nominees, 126 for us to consider, and they were great ideas. Our advisory group narrowed down sort of 10 finalists, which we met with in your offices just a couple months ago, and it was amazing to see these innovators from all over the country come together and just in a real open source way share all their ideas and learnings and it was incredible energy. What do you see as some of the biggest challenges remaining to making housing more affordable? Well, I think the biggest issue is recognizing that there isn't one solution, but there's multiples. And in fact, 
We focused on three areas, construction and design. Of course, that's a big component of what will impact affordability. And then finance. I think that's probably the one that we don't focus on nearly enough and will have the greatest implications. You can go save a lot of money on little improvements in terms of sticks and bricks and the way you do your process, but in one month of interest rate increases, you can see those all vanish very quickly. And so the question is, what can we do with finance? Um, we had some brilliant ideas that came forward this last version of the Ivory Prize, and I'm excited to see what other ideas they have for this next year. But I think it's one of the areas that we really need to think about. The 30-year mortgage was probably the greatest innovation in housing ever for the United States. But is it the last innovation? I hope not. I hope there's going to be other things that we figure out. And we're seeing some pretty interesting stuff. Nothing quite like that, but I'm waiting for it. The last thing is you know, regulatory reform. And we have to have partnerships with states, counties, municipalities. And if they start jumping on and participating in the solution, and if they can get the broader community supporting these ideas and the need for great solutions in housing affordability, then we're on our way. And we, we showcase some really interesting things that people are doing with cities where they're partnering. There's bond initiatives that are putting money aside for housing affordability, but there's also just new ideas in terms of the way they subdivide their lots. The alley lot initiative in Austin was one that we featured. There's a lot of cool stuff that's going on that I think will have an impact in terms of regulatory reform. We gotta be super careful of the cost of building due to impact fees and other fees. And I think people are becoming more aware of that. So hopefully all these things coming together, along with things that I haven't even mentioned, are going to be the solutions for the affordability question. You mentioned more efficient production of housing as well. Um, were there ideas that were in that category that you thought were particularly interesting? Or do you think that's part of the solution? I think it is. We actually had 60 applicants to the Ivory Prize that were modular construction companies. And we were impressed by a few of them, but really none of them are focusing in a big way on single family housing. Almost all of them are focused on multifamily. I've challenged them to look at the single family industry. I think there's a lot of potential there. We're not seeing it yet, but it's my goal to collaborate and partner with one of these really top modular groups and figure out how to do it in a project, see if we can really shorten the build time. That would be key to us. It's probably one of my biggest frustrations right now is just how much we've been delayed in terms of construction. We used to consistently build a home in 90 to 110 days and that, those same homes we're now building in 150 to 160 days. So. That's got to improve, and I think modular might be part of the answer. We're really short in supply of the number of trades we have. We've had tremendously loyal contractors working with us, but they just can't keep their teams and crews fully staffed. It's just been very challenging without immigration reform and without the needed number of millennials and, and younger going into the trades. I think we got a big challenge in front of us. Do you have solutions in mind for that issue? Do you think there's yeah. any new sources yeah. of labor or where do you well, see that coming I from? Well, I think part of it is, I think if more young people understood the, the wages that are available in the trades, they would be interested. 
in our own state, we're partnering with other home builders and other businesses to let them know what you can make in certain trades. And so we've got an initiative amongst our, all of the high schools in Utah, and many of them have already signed on to an app that they got rewards for with one of the major auto dealers. And this auto dealer was interested later in sort of helping these kids who were all signed on to his app to figure out what kind of career opportunities there were. And we went to him and said, we'd really like to focus on the construction industry. We got our state legislature to give a grant to help build this app out and to really connect with every single high school student so that they knew the opportunities in the trades. We figure if, if you wait until after high school, they maybe already have picked their direction. If you can get someone thinking when they're a junior in high school, this summer I'm going to go do an internship with one of our trades, a framer, a plumber, an electrician, whatever. Then they see what it is and they get exposed to it and they find out what the money can be. It's significantly more than a lot of the other career choices that they're considering if they can have that contact with someone who's you know a mentor for them it could really make a difference we're working on a few things but this is a new initiative and we haven't yet seen the fruits we're hopeful but we know that we've got to do something let's take a quick break for a word from Jeldwin our partner for the building forward podcast work hard play hard enter for your chance to win the trip of a lifetime Jeldwen is giving away four custom $10,000 vacations to builders, contractors, and architects like you who work hard every day to bring your best to every project. Go on the trip of your dreams on Jeldwen. Enter now at jeldwen.com forward slash sweepstakes for your chance to win. That's jeldwen.com forward slash sweepstakes. And now back to my conversation with Clark Ivory, CEO of Ivory Homes. So you saw, you saw some interesting modular solutions, and, and you talked a lot about the need for regulatory and zoning reform. Are, are those things intersect at all? Are we going to need to have some sort of regulatory or, or zoning reform to allow different types of modular housing to exist or be put in new places or to fit in new ways in our urban environment? I think for sure. I think um, I don't really believe in containers as a source for the needed housing stock. But to get those kind of things approved through a city, it's really challenging. One of the winners of the Ivory Prize, or one of our top 10 finalists, I should say, is an outfit in Seattle. They're actually an architectural firm who has put together the recipe book for a modular company to take to a city or municipality to help them really understand how it works. So they really are trying to connect the dots with the municipality or the building department and the modular company. And I think that's really important. I think uh, we do have to connect the dots or we won't you know, get it done. Have you seen the training needs of builders in the workforce change, especially you know, during this labor shortage? And do you see some of the, the student initiatives you guys have worked on as a solution to that or is you know, a lot more still needed? I think we still need to do a lot more training to help everyone understand how they can do a better job and do it more quickly, deliver greater quality with less required rework. Training is something that I don't think we've done enough of at our company. We train within, but we need to reach out and make sure that we're doing more to train our trade partners as well. They're excellent. But we can bring in suppliers and we can bring in other excellent trade partners and say, let's share 
what you're doing that's successful and try to improve on that. And I think that would help a lot because with subcontractors that were needing to grow, they don't have maybe the availability of management to, to train. And we can do a lot by augmenting or adding to that effort for them. What areas of innovation or technology within Ivory and maybe even within the industry are you most excited about? I do think we could partner with a really good modular builder like Factory OS and figure out a way to do something in the single family area. It will require us having the right architect partnered with us and with them to, to really deliver what we need. I think there is a lot of potential there. I think we need to simplify our homes, and I think the up-and-coming generation are open to a more simplified build, smaller home that's got sort of the classical lines. My wife really believes that design needs to change and go back to the simple balance that we've had in the past, that the symmetry is critical. And truthfully, some of the most beautiful buildings ever built are those that just have tremendous symmetry not a lot of complexity, and it is that simple elegance. And I think there's a lot of potential to just innovate in that area. Design's a big deal, and if we can simplify that and still have beautiful homes, then we can also cut down on costs, and then that opens the door to more streamlining or modular processes. It's just, we're sort of at the beginning of that though, you know? What's the greatest source of inspiration for your work? I think that the greatest inspiration for us to make a difference in housing or housing affordability is to see families that otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity have that opportunity because moving into a home that you own yourself can change your entire life. It can change the life of the kids that live there. It can change the life and the outlook of the individual or the parents. It makes a big deal. I still remember, you know, I sold homes for a couple of years, just graduating from college, and I was working with my dad and developing some other things. And the happiest days were always the closings when you went and met the families or the individuals. I can still remember this crusty old guy that I'd worked with for several months to help him clean up his credit and get him ready to buy a house. And he brought me his prized silver dollar that had come from his collection that was 200 years old. And he gave me that with such gratitude. And I just thought, you know, this is what it's all about. You know, I mean, you can help a person get into a better situation and it changes their whole trajectory. And when you go through those experiences, you realize what an impact we're having in the housing industry. What makes you optimistic about the building industry in the years ahead? I'm extremely optimistic about the building industry because over the last year, we've had the opportunity to see 126 different companies that are passionate about innovating in this space. They want to make a difference for affordability. They want to make a difference for individuals. They really understand that if we can deliver housing in a more affordable way and a more efficient way, it'll better the lives of hundreds of thousands of people in this country. And they're motivated for that. And it's interesting when they all came together and like we had eight of our top 10 all together in Washington, D.C. to just talk about their ideas. We could not believe the energy that they had 
amongst themselves as they were talking and collaborating. They're totally open source. And they were just sharing and talking about what could be. And it was exciting. And then after we finished, they all wanted to stay together. They all went to dinner together that night. And they just kept talking and discussing. And they have this energy to come up with solutions that's really contagious. We're going to collaborate with them and we're going to learn from them. And then we're going to continue to find other companies and ideas. And when we first started off, we had no idea. I said to the group that we were you know, working on this project with and all of our advisory board, I said, if we don't get a lot of response, then I won't come back and ask you to do it for another year. But what they ended up doing was seeing that there was a massive response. And there's a lot of companies doing a lot of very cool things. We were encouraged. So we're going to go forward and we're going to keep finding great ideas. And we may not be the, um, the, the great idea or we may not even be the company that figures out how to take it to the next level. But we hope to shine a light on the idea. We hope to tee up that idea for others to take advantage of. And then maybe in the end, we'll all benefit. So I think the innovation in housing is just at a tipping point. And going forward, we're going to see some things like we have never seen before. We've been slow to get a lot of advances made in terms of productivity and everything else. But I think there's going to be a lot of stuff that happens going forward that we'll be very encouraged by. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you. Thanks again for stopping by the Building Forward podcast. Let us know what you think by emailing me at buildingforward at hanleywood.com. 